The Serial Entrepreneur, brought to you by Startups Magazine. A podcast bringing you leading businesses and founders who have a story to tell and explain some of their biggest challenges. Try not to be too hard on yourself. Like, I've met so many founders who are like, you know, I should have done this, and then the pandemic happened, and I didn't do this. And, and you spend so much time, like, second-guessing yourself when really mistakes will happen. Like, we're human. It really does improve over time, and I think sometimes when you're starting out, you kind of almost expect yourself to have, you know, super high standards from the start. You know, you want to do your best at the start, absolutely, but you're never going to be perfect. Plus, share their biggest secret, their favourite breakfast cereals. My favourite cereal is an Australian cereal called Nutrigrain. Rice Krispies. It's pretty boring. Weetabix. I have a clear winner. It is uh, Cocoa Pops. Hello and welcome back to the Serial Entrepreneur podcast brought to you by Startups Magazine and as always I am your host Anna Flockett. Today I am super excited to be joined by the Small Business Commissioner for the UK in the form of Liz Barclay. Liz how are you today? It's such a pleasure to have you on. I am in great form. There's sunshine outside. It's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> and uh, it does want make one feel rather more optimistic, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think the weather, especially recently, has been such an indicator for people and people's moods. They've said we're going to have a heat wave. But we had a bit of rain here over the weekend. So, yeah, but like you say, the weather is just, it brightens everyone's day, even if it has been a bit of a tornado. Well, thank you for obviously taking the time to be on our podcast. Obviously, what you do in your job and in your job role and what you guys are trying to help small businesses with is perfect, obviously, for our audience and our community. So I'm super excited to kind of share that story and ask you a lot of questions that I'm sure a lot of startups have over the next half an hour or so. But to kick us off, as it is called the Serial Entrepreneur Podcast, I do have to ask everybody, what is your favorite breakfast cereal and why? Well, it it has to be nutty granola with yogurt. Why? I think, oh, I don't know why. I just love it. I am very partial to nuts and seeds and anything with a bit of a crunch in it. <laughs> and nice creamy yogurt. What's not to love? Definitely. I feel like as a child, granola was something I was turned my nose up at. And now it is literally one of my favourite breakfasts. I love it so much. So I'm definitely... What do you think we've all got those breakfasts? I used to turn my nose up at porridge, but now I quite like porridge too. Yeah, I used to just only eat porridge if I had an exam, because in my head it was like, you had to have porridge before an exam because it was slow releasing energy and it was like a superstition. And now I love a bowl of porridge. I love a granola. Or my younger self would think I sound so old. How well did you, do you actually think the porridge helped the exams? Not at all. I always used to have fish as well the night before. Again, superstition because it was meant to be brain food. But yeah, not not at all. It was just, it was superstition. It was, yeah, crazy little thing that 15-year-old Anna was obsessed with. <laughs> so before we kind of spend all the conversation talking about me and my superstitions, let me divert the conversation obviously back to yourself. So to kick things off, tell me a little bit about kind of your role and what does being the small business commissioner really entail? It entails talking to small businesses, talking to big businesses, talking to any size of business in between about how well they pay their suppliers. So we are quite limited 
in our remit, and that is to make sure that the smaller suppliers with fewer than 50 employees are able to resolve any payment disputes with their bigger customers. And the bigger customers are those firms with more than 50 employees. And so it is quite limited. But if you think about it, payments, business to business payments are so fundamentally important to not just the small business, but all businesses in the supply chain, that of course, payments come into just about everything we talk about in terms of business. Uh, in this country. So we also administer something called the Prompt Payment Code, and that's a voluntary code to which bigger businesses, well, in fact, any business may sign up if they are committing to paying 95% of all of their invoices within 60 days, but at least 95% of their invoices from smaller businesses within 30 days. So it's a voluntary code, but it's a really good indicator of ethical businesses that have committed to better payment practices. So it's uh, around payments, but getting paid is fundamental because if you're a freelancer, a sole trader, a micro business, a small business, if you don't get paid, I'm sorry, but it's a hobby, not business. Exactly. Yeah. And I think you know, when it comes to startups and small businesses, um, when you think of money, you always think of like funding and raising money. But if you've got business, if you have customers, you have a way of kind of making money in other forms. I know obviously a lot of businesses do need to raise um, capital and raise funds to keep themselves going. But the whole point of it is eventually your business is going to be able to make money through your custom, through what you're doing. And yeah, how much of a problem is it then that, you know, businesses aren't getting paid or the small, the smaller suppliers um, are not getting these funds and people are kind of refusing or they don't have the money to pay them themselves? How much of a problem is this? There's all of those aspects to it. We talk about late payments and the headlines all shout late payments, but I don't think it's all about late as in overdue invoices. Uh, some of it is. So invoices are sometimes submitted with mistakes on. And then, of course, the payments come through late because there's a reason to delay payment in order to have the invoice corrected and resubmitted. Sometimes you will find, and I've been freelance most of my working life, and sometimes you will find that you're offered a piece of work and you get terribly excited about it. And of course, it's going to be a life changer and you really, really feel that you must take it. And you forget the very, very fundamental question, when will I get paid for delivering this piece of work? And then when it push comes to shove, you realize that what you have done is agree to be paid within that business's standard terms. And those standard terms may be 60 days, 90 days, even, you know, I've seen 120 days, 150 days, even 360 days. Oh, absolutely unbelievable. But when you then think back and think about your cash flow and look at your cash flow, you realize too late that actually your cash flow is not going to be manageable for that period through which you are waiting to be paid. And that's when sometimes you need to go and look for extra financing. And for the smallest of small businesses, it can be extremely difficult to find that extra financing to tide you over. So payments are vitally, vitally important. It's really important to ask the question right at the beginning, when am I going to get paid? What do I need to put on the invoice in order to make it payable? What is all the information that you need, the customer? And who is my point of contact? 
if I need to contact you because it won't necessarily be the person who gave you the job in the first place. So there's all of these issues, but it's also about making the bigger businesses understand how vitally important those smaller suppliers are to the bigger business because they are the small businesses, the talent that drives big bigger business success. And so if you don't pay your smaller businesses, your smaller suppliers without delay, the chances are they've not been able to manage their cash flow. They're teetering on the edge of going bust. You're losing that talent. And it's very expensive to go out and find somebody to fill that gap. If you don't have those goods and services, you've got nothing to sell on to your customers. It's really about getting everybody to think about those processes. So talk me through specifically how you help these smaller businesses and the process of what you do. So do the small businesses approach you and say, I haven't been paid or is it kind of also a preventative? So I'm going to be doing this work. What can I do to make sure that I am not paid? We would like to do a bit of both. Uh, Frankly, if I were never ever to get another complaint, I might be able to say, well, we've been successful because we've prevented people getting into disputes in the first place. But that's highly unlikely to happen, it has to be said. There's a lot of information on our website to help you to make sure that you are going to get paid, uh, also to help you think about how you would negotiate better payment terms in the first place. But if the worst comes to the worst and you have done the work, you've delivered it and you haven't been paid and you think you are unable to resolve that dispute with your bigger customer yourself, then we have a casework team who are there in order to help you resolve that dispute. One of the biggest problems we have though is that smaller businesses don't like to rock the boat because they feel that the work, future work is going to come from that customer. And of course, there's an awful lot of time and effort that goes into finding customers to work with. So the last thing you want to do is to lose future work in the pipeline. And just to give you an example, one uh, person I knew before I started this job phoned me uh, about a fortnight in and said, uh, I was promised I'd be paid in 14 days. I've submitted the work. I'm now being told I'll be paid in 90 days. And I said, well, you know, you've had a contract to be paid in 14 uh, 14 days. We can help. And she said, no, I don't want you to. I, I don't want you to intervene. And when I said why, she said, because I may lose the future work in the pipeline. Now, we will do our utmost not to damage the working relationship that you already have with your customers. And the caseworkers are well versed in that and hugely experienced. I guess it's also like a, a, like I think you said, a teetering balance or, you know, like a seesaw sort of thing as well with if the the clients, the people that you've been working with, then you do upset them, are you going to be bad-mouthed in the industry? And it's not just them, is it? Are you going to get like a reputation or a name for yourself? Which is awful because you've, like you've been saying, you've done nothing wrong. You've done the work. You've been told that you're going to be paid and you're not. So realistically, you're the victim and then you're being made to feel like the bad guy in a way, aren't you? Well, there's another side to that coin though, because if you are the customer and you're a poor payer, then there's a reputational issue for you too, because as a freelance, I want to work with good payers and increasingly really highly skilled people want to work with companies that they know that treat their suppliers well. Investors want to invest in companies that are ethical and 
treat their suppliers fairly. So there's a reputational hit there too. And if you were a small business and you came along and looked at who was signed up to the prompt payment code, you might say to yourself, well, they're likely to be a better payer than somebody who isn't signed up to the prompt payment code. And there's also payment data held by the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, which would help you to make some of that decision. Or the credit reference agencies uh, hold information that would allow you to be informed about the customer you're going to work with before you decide whether to work with them or not. So the reputational risk is on both sides. But yeah, definitely. And so when you guys intervene, is this like court cases? Like, does it ever result in that? Or no, it's more just kind of like trying to get them to pay. And do, do they always pay? <laughs> no, they don't always pay. In fact, they don't always respond to us. But we're trying very hard to make sure it doesn't reach court because that's hugely expensive. And for a small business in particular, it's hugely off-putting. Um, in fact, about 15% of small businesses don't chase invoices at all simply because they don't have the time, they don't have the resource, you know, so it's very resource intensive to be, to go off to court. What we will try to do is to talk through with the customer where the barriers might be. And more often than not, we discover that it's simply that the small business didn't understand that they just signed a contract that said we will pay over a longer period of time and the small businesses have come to us early in that process, um, quite often we will find that the processes that some of the bigger companies have in place for making payments just take forever <laughs> because they haven't been updated and there's so many approvals in the system and it actually takes quite a long time to pay. Uh, but we usually find that when we do intervene and explain and really communicate with the bigger payment, the payment department of the bigger company, that the payments are forthcoming. Quite often we find we don't have to intervene at all. And interestingly, anecdotally, we hear from small businesses who tell us that just by mentioning the fact that they have spoken to the small business commissioner or that they have been on the small business commissioner's website and realize that they can charge interest because of an invoice is overdue that the bigger customer pays up that's always a good little tool then to use just kind of even name dropping <laughs> I love that you mentioned that obviously you'd been kind of freelance um, a lot of your life so I'm intrigued to learn a little bit more about Liz and Liz's background so what was your background in and have you come from a business entrepreneurial kind of background your whole life tell me more about yourself it's interesting. I think that um, people who come from a, a small business background are more likely to think about it as a career option, I suppose. And I, yes, I was brought up on a farm. So my parents ran the farm. My mother did the books. I always remember the stress uh, around VAT and getting payments. <laughs> but my grandfather ran a building firm. And my uncle ran a building firm. My great aunt ran a convenience store. So we got to try all the sweets, of course, when the first when they first appeared on the shelves. And I think that was the biggest appeal. And I worked before I went to university. I worked in a department, a small department store, small business, and learned so much about the retail sector there in that small business. So I suppose in my head there was always an option. Uh, to be freelance. But most of my working life, I've worked freelance in broadcasting. And uh, it's an interesting creative sector to work in. And you usually do get paid. 
when you, you know when you have been promised you'd be paid but there are sometimes you sign up to do some a piece of work for a new client and then you don't know what their payment processes are and i have made the big mistake of assuming that their payment processes will be the same as the payment processes of somebody else i've worked with uh, without really checking it out and uh, i know that i have made mistakes in the past and there are invoices out there that um, i still haven't been paid for my fault because I've not got the information right. I've not had everything in writing before we start. I've, it's not been a contract that's been written down so I can go back and point to it later. So I've made the mistakes, all of them, and probably more. <laughs> oh, it's so interesting. And I guess, you know, it takes someone to stand up and say, you know, I've done it myself. And then it gives you even better perspective, I guess, than to help other people that have been in the situation that you've been in yourself. How long have you been the Small Business Commissioner? How long have you been specifically in this role? Uh, since the 1st of July 2021. So 10, 10 months. Yeah, coming up to 11 months. And it's been absolutely brilliant, amazing to have, well, to not necessarily the invitation into people's lives, but being, but being able to talk to small businesses and hear their stories and hear what they're up against. And some of the examples of what people go through is really heartbreaking. For instance, uh, I do know of a case where a woman who had a small business hadn't been paid, been promised and promised and promised payments, not been coming through. And on a Friday afternoon, she said, I have no money with which to feed the children over the weekend. But when one of the caseworkers intervened in that case and phoned the customer, the customer said, I never, ever thought about it like this. I didn't realize that that 300 pound bill would be so important to that small business. I was so busily paying the 3000 pound, the 30,000 pound bills because they seemed to me to be more urgent. I will pay that money myself out of my account today so that she has the money in her bank account and I will solve it next week. And that's really brought home to me that we don't communicate enough between ourselves and our businesses and perhaps the big businesses don't know enough about how small businesses operate and the, the challenges they face and vice versa that small businesses perhaps don't really understand what a big business payment department might look like and why they wouldn't be top of the list of priority payments on a Friday afternoon before everybody went home so it's been such a learning curve. Yeah, exactly that. You know, when we first started talking about it and I was kind of reading up on what, what you guys do and I got first introduced to you, I just thought, you know, these people these people are not very nice people. They're choosing not to pay them for a certain reason. But like you say, they may just think, they may not just, understand the how how important it is and the worth and you you do just think oh the bigger payments more example I've got to make sure that that 30,000 pound bill is paid when actually the bigger company doesn't need that 30,000 pounds as much as like you said the, the much smaller bill in terms of late payment culture we've touched on this a little bit what does that mean for UK businesses how does it affect small businesses We've touched on this a little bit. So I guess what I'm trying to also probe at is, does it put people off starting a small business? You know, is it en is it enough of a deterrent or have you not seen that sort of culture at all? I don't think it puts people necessarily off starting a small business because I think people who are entrepreneurial want to do what they love doing. And they see all sorts of advantages in working for themselves, whether it's freelance, sole trader or starting up a business that they hope to grow. Um, and, and we have seen record numbers of small businesses being started um, in the last year or so, despite 
the challenge of the pandemic, for instance. Um, but I think what I've what I've realized is small businesses don't invest if they aren't certain about when they're going to get money through. And I think that's the one of the biggest challenges. They won't invest in becoming digital, perhaps, or reaching net zero, or taking on new staff, or upskilling people that they've already got on their books. Um, so it was interesting to note the other day, I was talking to the, some, of the, some people working in the construction sector, and they said that if we don't pay our smallest businesses in the construction, our smallest house builders, for instance, then we're not just in danger of losing those small house builders. What we're in danger of losing is the upskilling. So the small businesses do a lot of the training. And they also do a lot of the health and safety training. And one of the points that was that came out graphically out of this discussion was that there will be more accidents in the construction sector if we don't have the small businesses there doing something as basic as the health and safety training that is so vitally important. So there are all sorts of other knock-on effects. It's not just about you not having the money in your bank account. It's what you can't do with it if you don't have it there. And, you know, can you go out and borrow to fill in those gaps? It can be pretty hard uh, for small businesses to borrow. Definitely. You just mentioned, obviously, the construction sector there. I'm guessing, correct me if I'm wrong, that you work across kind of all sectors and businesses within different industries. Is there a particular industry that faces more challenges when it comes to the late payment culture or you see kind of more problems within certain sectors or certain areas of business? We don't deal with the construction sector. It's not part of our remit as far as our dispute resolution is concerned, because there are other alternative dispute resolution schemes for the construction sector. We do deal with them if there is a signatory to the prompt payment code that is being complained about and we need to investigate whether or not they're actually sticking with the commitment of the uh, prompt payment code. And that's where we come across the construction sector most. We do see differences in sectors, yes. The construction sector has for a long time had the reputation of being poor payers, but I think it's because of the complications, you know, there are uh, retentions held against uh, whether or not the work is judged to have been good enough. There are uh, situations in which you can change the contractual terms, etc. So the construction sector is very, very important when it comes to payments. Um, but there are lots of other sectors too. I think that um, the material costs, the cost of living, the skills shortages, etc., have all made it really difficult for the kind of sectors that are delivering, having to buy in materials and deliver goods. Um, and quite often you will see that that means that they're waiting for payments, that they're holding back money against being able to buy the next raft of materials, etc., and delaying payments as a result. So we are seeing a bit of a shift. But I have to say, during the pandemic, we did see the average payment days come down by 1.3 days. Now, it doesn't sound like much, but there were something like 37 and a half days on average payment terms before the pandemic. It did go up, but then it's dropped again to about 36.3. I, I can't hazard a guess as to where it will go, given the challenges that we are facing now. But that was because, the drop was because a lot of bigger companies looked at their payment practices and said, look, 
We've got to do the absolute utmost best to keep our suppliers on board, working for us, not going off to better paying uh, rivals and to keep them alive and surviving and producing because otherwise we won't have the goods to sell on to our customers. And we saw some of the bigger companies reduce their payment terms to even as little as seven days. Now, that may draw out and may be drawing out a bit again as departments within those companies say, hang on a minute, <laughs> we could do with a bit of money for you know, research and development, for instance. But it is really interesting that it can be done. And therefore, we'd be saying to big businesses, really take this opportunity to look at your payment processes, see if you can strip out any extraneous <laughs> approvals and hoops that people have to fall through and see if you can make those payments to your smaller suppliers quicker because they desperately need to be getting that money in. It's good to hear that obviously the bigger businesses were kind of empathetic and were trying to help where they could during such... Not, not all, not all. Not all. And, there can, yeah, and there still can be that culture. And I'm constantly being asked if big businesses purposely hold back money in order that uh, their small businesses, their small suppliers may go bust and they never have to pay. But I don't really see that conspiracy. I see more not having invested in payment processes and updating payment processes you uh you you sound like you're the given the benefit of the doubt sort of person so you, you'd like to see the good in people you know it's not not necessarily their fault but it could be who knows i do think you know if you can award good practice and you can get the message across that there are better practices out there and we can share experiences and we can share how to improve things. That's the best way to go about it. But that doesn't mean to say that if we see really bad practices, we won't shout about it. And we have. Uh, of course, we have shouted about it. And there are companies that have made the press um, and we have got that. We have got the capacity to do that. I would prefer to err on the side of uh, here's what the good guys are doing. Uh, you could do this too. You strike me as a very fair lady, Liz. So, uh, yes. I'm not can... sure anybody's ever called me that before. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, no. I, I really got the impression that you were very straight-laced but fair. Straight-laced? Ooh. <laughs> That's an interesting one as well. <laughs> <laughs> the way the way I kind of meant it was that you um, didn't take rubbish from people. Do you know what I mean? Like they couldn't pull the wall over your eyes sort of thing. Well, I have been I have been naive <laughs> in the past uh, when I, you know, working for myself and not getting my invoices right, not understanding that I had some power in the in the contract and could negotiate. I have been naive and I have made mistakes. Definitely, I have been as gullible as uh, probably as it's possible to be. But um, I think you do learn from experience that um, you know. I think the key to the whole thing is really good communication. And if we can communicate better and what I would really like to see a lot of small business, uh, big businesses do is come up with good induction processes for their smaller suppliers coming on board so that everybody knows exactly what's expected of them at the start and fair, fair payment terms. Without dwelling on the negatives too much, I did just want to um, kind of ask and talk about a little bit the difficult time that we're living through now. Obviously, we've touched on COVID and I know we have said it's kind of a difficult time that we are going through and it's quite an uncertain time, especially in terms of the economy and money. How is this affecting small businesses in particular and what sort of things are you seeing kind of really freshly at the moment with everything that's going on with uh, the cost of living? I think where 
payments and late payments, delayed payments, extended payment terms was at the top of the agenda. We're now seeing the cost of living at the top of the agenda. And small businesses are really worried about the cost of materials coming in, the cost of skills, being able to compete for wages. You know, um, somebody said to me the other day, I, I just shut at lunchtime now because I can't afford a second chef. And even if I could afford a second chef, they're going to get better wages from, you know, other of the bigger restaurants. So that's, that is just a small example and it's happening in its own way across uh, an awful lot of the sectors. But people certainly in the creative industries are saying, my goods are not essential. If I put my prices up, of course, people will simply, they're having to tighten their belts. They haven't got the money to spend and they're simply not uh, buying. And there also has been a shift. I think a lot of people uh, pivoted really effectively from shop fronts on high streets to online sales. And they're really struggling now with getting deliveries because, of course, the cost of fuel has gone up, etc. So everything going up has meant that people have to consider, do you put your prices up? Do you pass those prices increases, those all those material increases onto your customers? Are your customers going to be able to afford it? And the, the line that really struck me a couple of weeks ago was the woman who said, I've done everything that I thought was right. It's got me through COVID. I was just beginning to come out the other side. And now I just watch my customers walking by. And I felt that was utterly heartrending. So um, it is extremely difficult out there. And at the moment, there isn't any sign of when it's going to get better. The certainty that it was going to get better in a particular length of time. Uh, but then there are other pockets of business that are really optimistic, mostly in the mostly in the technology and digital sector, I would say. Yes. And... I guess this is maybe more of like a personal comment rather than you being all seeing and kind of the voice of reason, what you are to me, but I, I won't put that pressure on you. But what changes would you like to see in the near future or in, in the long term, if if you prefer, in terms of small businesses and what's what's really affecting them right now? Obviously, the late payment culture, what would kind of like be a really good change for you to see? I think I would like to see payment practices and payment performance sitting on the board agenda of the big companies. I think it is a governance issue. Uh, Non-exec directors and chairs often say, we don't ask about payment performance because that's an operational issue. It's not. It's a strategic issue. Do you want your organisation to be an ethical company treating everybody and its supply chain fairly? If you do, then you need to put it on the governance agenda. And that will also help socially because it helps small businesses work in their local communities and do the levelling up. And to be fair, on the environmental side uh, of ESG, on the environmental side, small businesses are not going to reach net zero unless they're certain that they have the money in their bank accounts in order to invest. And so I think big businesses just looking at those payment practices and thinking, how can we improve getting it on the governance agenda would certainly start to make a big difference. And that kind of leads on nicely to my next question. If you had any advice out there for small businesses or big businesses, I think I know what the advice for the bigger businesses would be, but what would your advice be, especially for the smaller ones? Get the processes in place right at the start. If you're starting up, don't get so hugely excited like I used to do about that piece of work and forget to ask about 
when you're going to get paid. Make sure that you've got your invoicing processes right. Make sure that you know when to put your invoice in, what information to put on it. Ask every one of your clients, because they'll all have a different process, what it is that you need to do to be paid on time. And then don't be scared to chase it up. And don't be scared to negotiate for better payment terms. You are the talent that is helping those bigger businesses drive their success. Definitely. And how can people get in touch slash contact with you if they if they need some more advice or if they need some help in terms of this? Where's the best place to find you? Uh, find us on the website. We have an interest rate calculator, for instance, if you have been paid late, if your invoice is overdue, then uh, you can use that to work out how much to invoice for the interest on top of the invoice that hasn't been paid yet. So the website is, if you just uh, go into any search engine and put in Small Business Commissioner, you will find us. You can email us, you can phone us. We are there to take your calls and we will respond to your emails just as quickly as we possibly can. Amazing. Well, Liz, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And, and thank you for all the help, the work that you're doing, helping the uh, the smaller businesses and the economy. Yeah, I think. We'd, we'd love to do more. There's so much to do and we're doing our best. Uh, if there's anything we can help you with, please give us a call. Thank you so much, Liz. I'm sure a lot of businesses will appreciate that. I hope so. <laughs> I just hope we can help. The Serial Entrepreneur, brought to you by Startups Magazine. A podcast bringing you leading businesses and founders who have a story to tell and explain some of their biggest challenges. Try not to be too hard on yourself. Like, I've met so many founders who are like, you know, I should have done this, and then the pandemic happened, and I didn't do this. And, and you spend so much time, like, second-guessing yourself when really mistakes will happen. Like, we're human. It really does improve over time and I think sometimes when you're starting out you kind of almost expect yourself to have you know, super high standards from the start. You know, you want to do your best at the start, absolutely, but you're never going to be perfect. Plus, share their biggest secret, their favourite breakfast cereals. My favourite cereal is an Australian cereal called Nutrigrain. Rice Krispies. It's pretty boring. Weetabix. I have a clear winner. It is uh, Cocoa Pops. 